Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. I think that says it all right there. I think <laughs> I think I think you can you can fully describe the moment that we're in just by the by the forced nature of your thanks. Yeah, the um, <laughs> the like sort of plaintive tone of my voice. It was plaintive, just like uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's not it's not a question of like oh you know should, should we should we do a podcast in the middle of of uh, you know seventy seven terrible things happening all at once it's more like should we do anything in a time where seventy seven terrible things happening all at once like nothing right. feels appropriate you know no like should should any should literally anybody be doing anything <laughs> that's the question I think that's the question we're we're struggling with right now. <laughs> Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Wow. It is, it is a, it is a rough time. It is, is obviously a very, very difficult time for all of us, for, for many people in, in larger ways. It's, it's really trying, but, uh, you know, we don't, we try to stay out of meaningful things here and, and actually are very, we, we tend to be very good. I don't know if we're going to be able to completely avoid meaning today. Do you think? No, because, um, the reality is, is that any discussion of of sports right now, right, um, would it, it would be uh, it would be what's the right word? It would be almost criminal, yes, or um, or wishful, <laughs> wishful, wishful thinking there you go. Wishful. to try to <laughs> to try to divorce <laughs> any discussion of the sports landscape from from the discussion of the larger uh, cultural context, societal context. So. You know, um, you'll have to forgive us, uh, listeners, for accidentally uh, talking about meaningful issues. Just a, it, it, it'll just slip in, I imagine, with some some meaning here and there. We'll we'll, we'll still try to get a little meaninglessness in there. But before we do any of that, uh, you know, we've I've heard from a lot of people. I know you've heard from many, many, many people, but I've heard from a lot of people who who would love who loved uh, what you wrote about uh, about uh, your father-in-law uh, Regis and oh, yeah. uh, and and you know I just wanted you know I think I think a lot of people would just want you to know uh, how how meaningful that was for them and and I know that you know it's been uh, it's been a, a rough time but also a, a, a celebratory time in, in in the way you celebrated a life uh, an, an amazing life really yeah, that I mean, that's that's the thing about this. So, in in case anybody doesn't know, Regis Philbin was my father in law. He passed away a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a month before he turned eighty nine. And so, you know, there's been a lot of um, you know sadness, obviously, but also uh, there's been a ton of tributes and people sort of like expressing what he meant to them in in various ways. And that has been lovely. Um, that's been really nice for my wife and for her sister and mother and and. Um, you know the 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 facts surrounding his career are bananas bananas <laughs> really absolutely uh, truly truly kind of like crazy um and among those uh, uh you know if you i was i was searching for a way to sort of try to explain um i i all my life really since i've known him i've been i've been trying to figure out a way to sort of contextualize or or explain the insanity of being 
in the broadcasting business as long as he was. And I found a, um, when we were sort of going through his house and organizing stuff, um, I found a, uh, script that he had written from 1956 of a, um, a a sports reporter. It was the first time he did the sports on the radio. It was August 10th, 1956. And the, it, it was the first time he had written anything and, and been on screen doing sports. It was a local station in LA and it was, he was talking about, uh, Mickey Mantle hitting a ground rule double. By the way, a 460 foot ground rule. Double. 460 foot ground rule. Would you <laughs> imagine hitting a ball 460 feet and it's a ground rule double? That's what stadiums used to be like back then. And it was you know Harvey Haddocks and Ted Williams and and all of these kind of uh, amazing um, you know old timey sports heroes. And it was like, well, this is the perfect way to explain like how long that guy has been on television, right? It's like this is he was this the same guy gave that sports report in 1956, and also, uh, you know, was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire <laughs> 50 years later. Uh, and so that was like a there were a lot of things like that. Someone, um, my sister in law's boyfriend, found his first resume uh, that he made when he was when he was looking for jobs. Um, he eventually ended up being a page at NBC, but his resume. He just listed his, you know, he went to Notre Dame. He went to Cardinal Hayes High School and he went to Notre Dame. And he was in the Navy. He was a staff sergeant uh, uh, in the Navy or Army now. I can't remember. But um, it said uh, at the bottom, it said hopes and aspirations or something. And it, he said, uh, uh, I would like to in some way be involved in television. <laughs> and it was like, well, you mission, mission accomplished, accomplished, buddy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, I mean, reading your piece and, and, you know, us going back and forth a little bit, a career like that will never happen again, ever. No, and, no. And, you know, part of it is, of course, just the extraordinary nature of his of his life. Uh, and part of it is I don't I don't know that we have it's like it speaks to who we are as a as a nation now that we don't have enough room for people like that you know for people like regis who have who are around forever and and cross boundaries and and you know it's it's we've just become so you know so divided it just it feels like there's there's no room for people like regis anymore it's terrible yeah i mean it's that that was um really clear i think in the way that people responded um because it was the the responses sort of fell into into one gigantic umbrella category, um, which you would broadly say was like, he was, um, you know, uh, I just loved him. He just, I just loved, I loved watching him talk. And it speaks to a couple of things. I think one is just his particular talent. Um, His, one of his longtime friends is a guy named Barry Glazer, who used to direct American Bandstand. And, um, and they were friends for, for decades and decades and decades. And Mm -hmm. Um, he, when, when Regis moved from LA to New York to do, to start what was then a, a, the local New York version of what would become live with Regis and Kathy Lee, right. um, Barry said, he said, I'm, look, I'm, I'm kind of rolling the dice here. I'm going to try to take this job in New York. And Barry said to him, what are you going to do? What's, what's this show going to be? What are you going to, what do you just talk about what happened to you the, the night before? Like, that's never going to fly, man. Like that's, it's not going to work. And that's exactly what he did. And it is the reason, the exact reason that the show worked. Like he had the, he had the extraordinary ability to simply talk about what happened to him 
the night before in a it, it that was usually pretty unremarkable it's usually like <laughs> he lost his car keys and he couldn't you know he was late to his uh, his wife and he went out to dinner and they were late for the reservation wasn't there whatever that sort of mundane everyday basic stuff that um that we all go through it wasn't i'm a superstar and i live in this rarefied no. air or whatever it was he was annoyed because the yankees had lost and he <laughs> uh you know and his his he got a, a funny uh magazine got sent to him that he didn't subscribe to or whatever the whatever the thing was and he just talked about it in his normal way of talking about it and when you think about like how impossible that seems now i know um it's 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 sad but also you think like well it's not just that it's impossible because the culture has changed and people are or are divided and all that sort of stuff it's impossible just because no one has the ability to do it the way he did it. Like the closest to me, the closest thing to him really was Larry David. Like Larry David has made a career out of complaining about um, the, the, like the very mundane stuff. But Larry David does it from the point of view of a billionaire who is still (laughs) annoyed at very small things, which is really funny, but that wasn't the way Regis was doing it. Regis was doing it as I'm you. And I'm annoyed by these things, just like you're annoyed by these things. And I'm happy about things in the same way you're happy about things. And he he just was like a he was a great uniter of of yeah. the human experience. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's both like culturally impossible now and it's also individually impossible yeah. that anybody could play that same role. You're right. It's pure charisma, pure charisma and pure yeah. ability to connect with people. I mean, it's it's very rare. It's very rare. Anyway, I thought. Uh, I thought your piece about him was beautiful and, and, uh, and obviously, uh, he was one of a kind. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's really good. All right. So now we can move from that to, I, I don't know what, I don't even know where to start because <laughs> it's, there's, there's so much happening and, and none of it is, is, is great. Uh, although, you know, I, let's, I, you know what, let's start with, with, what happened in the NBA last night. I mean, that's obviously seems to be the biggest news. There's the, you know, at least in sports, um, not out of sports because out of sports, there are 500 other things terrible happening at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously in reaction to, um, to, uh, a police, uh, shooting, uh, I guess, so I, it, it really starts in Milwaukee, right? So it's Milwaukee, uh, being, uh, as close to Kenosha as, as, uh, as it is, uh, the players on the Milwaukee Bucks decided uh, yesterday. So we are doing this on Thursday. So this was on Wednesday. Right. They announced they were not going to play. Uh, and I've heard it called a boycott. I've heard it called a strike. I'm not actually sure what the players prefer it to be called. Uh, but they were not going to play um, in in response to this to the shooting until uh, the state responded. By by first of all holding the officer uh, accountable, and second of all, um, creating you know creating a, a future where these kinds of things don't happen anymore. Creating rules for the police where these kind of things don't happen anymore, and uh, it was incredibly powerful and incredibly courageous for them to come out and do this uh, in a playoff game. You know, for a playoff game, a team that that I think many would consider the favorite to win the East and, and, and a potential NBA champion. Right. It's, it was really courageous. And then it spread like, 
you know, really, really spread. And of course the NBA canceled all their games. The a couple of major league baseball games were canceled. Other players stepped out uh, and, and so they weren't going to play. Uh, today, uh, Naomi Osaka, the, the former number one player in the world, was in the semifinals at uh, whatever that tennis tournament is that used to be in Cincinnati, but this year is in New York, so they could stay in the bubble. She refused to play, and so they basically canceled the whole day. Something really, really amazing is happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it is remarkable. Um, you know, I, I don't think it can be overstated. Uh, it, it's sort of so many things have been canceled yeah. um, because of COVID that it doesn't um, th- just the act of canceling a day of NBA playoffs and a tennis tournament and, a, and some baseball games and some other stuff. It, it weirdly got blunted a little by the fact that so much has been canceled over the last six months. It's a great point. But you can't, it is, it is impossible to overstate the, um, the sort of dramatic impact of what the Bucks did last night. Yeah. And um, I prefer the term strike. It seems more like a strike. They're not boycotting. They're not boycotting. It is, I think it's a strike too. I've seen boycott yeah. in a lot of places. Yeah, I know it. And I, and I think it's a, I think it's a bad term because it makes it, it just inverts the kind of power structure in a right. weird way. Yeah. Um, it's pretty clearly a labor strike. Um, and you know, the, it, it was, it was like, I, I think that the first thing you have to do is think about the difference between this generation of athletes and any other generation of athletes in the past. And there have been athletes obviously in the past who have done extraordinary things in the same exact vein. You immediately yeah. think of Muhammad Ali. Right. You think about um, you think about the athletes at the 1968 Olympics. Right. Um, there have certainly been protests. There have been actions taken. But the NBA playoffs is um, to 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 bring the NBA playoffs to a grinding halt yeah. at a time, by the way, when the NBA playoffs are basically the only game in town. I mean, baseball's been being played. Does anyone really care? <laughs> I mean, I'm you and I are two of the biggest baseball fans in the world remaining. And we don't really care nearly as much as we ordinarily would about baseball. We were joking the other day over text about the fact that the, the season's halfway over. <laughs> like it just started playing and it's like the trade deadline is coming up. I mean, it's, it's you know, baseball is its own problem as right. we've talked about. But to do what they did to bring the NBA playoffs to a grinding halt, not only um, to do that, but to do it as, like you said, the front runners to probably win the whole thing. Right. Um, it's extraordinary. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've seen some people say, some cynics say, is like, to what end? Like, to why? what do they want? Well, what they want is to do it. Yeah. That's all they want. They yeah. wanted to do this because they felt like this was the right thing to do in that moment. And I think that to, to sort of um, say that you have to have this completely, some kind of teleological goal uh, completely and utterly laid out is absurd. It's it was a an emotional decision uh, in the in the most pure way to say like we're sick of this, we are tired of this, we're we're exhausted, we're sad, we're angry, we want to make a statement in the only way that we really can at this exact moment that this has to end. And so, guess what? We're not playing. And Sean Doolittle had that quote. It was actually from a, a reporter um, who had said it first. But he said something like, um, 
sports is the reward you get when your society is functioning properly. Right, right. And that's what the books were saying. They were saying like, we're, we're not doing this. No way. Like, the, like we're, we are headed uh, probably definitely towards the finals, the NBA finals, and potentially towards a championship, the first one in a very long time for this franchise. And we don't care because that is utterly unimportant in the face of what is happening in our culture. And that act of what amounts to a complete and utter selflessness, first of all, and taking that particular moral stand is a watershed for athletes, for people in the culture, for, for America, for society, for everything. And I, I was, I found it incredibly moving and brave and wonderful. And, I, and, um, you know, I, I think they just announced, I think that the players have, have, have voted on continuing That's right. the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I, by the way, I completely understand because if you then think about the sacrifice that they all made to be in the bubble in Orlando and to leave their families behind and to not see their families for months and to, you know, and to try to like press on with the, with sort of preserving the sport that they all play and that they all love, it makes perfect sense to to say like, well, look, we've come this far um, and we're going to see this through. But but also to do it in the wake of the um, of that action and to get the attention that they that they got and to and to have the cause that they're fighting for be brought front and center again um, is is first of all, totally understandable. But second of all, like that is what they wanted. What they wanted is to say, like, we're not going to ignore this. This is going to continue. We are going to continue to do things like this over and over again until until something changes. And the last thing I'd say is that, you know, they're not they're not stopping. They're going to do they're, the The players clearly have decided that this is a thing that they're going to fight for. And when you think about what it is that they want and what they're trying to accomplish, well, um, you know, the, there's 30 people who own um, basketball franchises and those people are billionaires and those people contribute a lot of money to a lot of politicians. Right. And you can see what's going to happen here, right? You can see that they are going to put pressure through their actions on the people who own the teams, who run the teams, on the league itself, on all professional sports franchise owners to say, you don't get the, the privilege of our labor uh, by, unless you change certain things about the way that you approach the country that we live in. And it's, and it's the thing that I think I, and a lot of people have been waiting for and hoping would happen. It happened a little bit with college sports. Um, when the PAC 12 athletes got together and right. said like, Hey, we're not going to play this game <laughs> unless you do certain things. And like, it's, it's, these people have, incredible power. Um, you know, they're, the billionaires, it's probably the only place or one of the only places where the, um, the power structure can be completely inverted because ordinarily in American society, the billionaires control everything. They just do whatever they want. They have, there's no repercussions for their actions. You know, these guys get to the point where they're CEOs of companies and they do whatever they want. And if they're caught doing whatever they want and it's illegal, they get fired with like a $87 million severance package or whatever. Right, right. And so there's no, like the incentive structure at the high, at the far end of the bell curve for the, for billionaires has completely broken down because it, they're fine no matter what happens. They can do the very, very worst things that you can do as a person 
and they still walk away with this enormous amount of money. But the ongoing exercise of professional sports and college sports depends 100% on the participation of the people who are playing the sports. Like yeah. without the sports, those billionaires don't get money anymore. And I, I, I think that what the Bucks did and then the other teams who followed suit, including, by the way, it should be noted, the Magic, who refused to accept the forfeit win, which is an incredible move mm-hmm. on their part. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the, like, they have basically put the league owners and the league itself on notice that their participation is not guaranteed. They don't, they, they are things they are declaring that are more important than what they do for a living. And until certain things change, and maybe they don't even 100% know what those things are yet, but until, until certain things change, um, there's the chance that they will walk away at any moment that they don't care, that they don't have the pressure that the owners think they have over them, which is the pressure of like, well, then you're not going to get paid. And they're like, yes, so what? Like, yeah. we, don't, we, th- we don't care because we believe more in this cause than we do in the almighty dollar. Um, that is a remarkable stance. It's incredibly um, courageous. And uh, I think they deserve nothing but our admiration and thanks. Well, that's I think that's right. Look, there are a few things I want to talk about, the, some of that you said. But first, uh, so it looks like the Hockey Diversity Alliance has just requested that the NHL suspend all playoff games today on this behalf. Wow. Uh, we know the WNBA canceled all their games. We, they, mm-hmm. that, we didn't mention that up front. So, so I, I think the to what end question, I think it's, I think it's wrong on multiple levels. One is um, you don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like one of the things that, that, that I think about all the time is, you know, the March on Washington was uh for jobs. It was a job that's, it was literally called the March on Washington for jobs, you know, for, for, for jobs. I mean, it was essentially built around jobs and, but think of the power of however many, you know, you know, people came to Washington and the power of Martin Luther King's speech that resonates, you know, for, for forever, you know, and, and that's more than, more than 50 years ago. And it resonates, you know, still, they they didn't know exactly you know they they you, it's not like you can script what the end game is on these things it's it's what kind of what kind of voice can i put out there what kind of what kind of power can we have to put this out there and so you you're the bucks you you don't think hey you know maybe the you know if we do this the nhl is going to suspend games and the wnba is going to suspend games and baseball is going to suspend games and and uh you know tennis players are going to take it on themselves they don't know that that wasn't that wasn't at all what they were thinking about what they were thinking about was this is incredibly personal to us we feel i mean some of the Oh my gosh, Doc Rivers. I mean that the thing that Doc Rivers said talking about fear and 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 how how hard it is to be an African American in this country, loving this country and knowing the country doesn't love you back. I mean, you don't know just the the force that you're putting into the world when you do something like this. And so I think that the question of to what end is absolutely the wrong question. The end is going to come whatever it is. I mean, obviously they wanted this to be very specifically have that officer, uh, you know, held responsible for, for, for what he did and, and for them to, 
to cut, you know, figure out ways so that there's no more police brutality. Stop police brutality. And and so they had some specific ideas, but the waves of this thing can go in so many different directions. I think that's why to what end is the absolutely the wrong question. I mean, the right question is, what am I willing to do to to help? And what will I regret do, not doing? To, to to stand up in this moment. And, and so that's why I think what they did is so courageous and so powerful, but also where will it lead? We don't know. We absolutely don't know. I mean, there's, it's, it, to me, it's the most hopeful thing happening in the moment right now is that it could lead to lots of places. And, and think of all of those people who are NBA fans. Sure. Some of them are going to be, you know, outraged and they're going to go the other way. And we all know that we've seen that with Kaepernick. We've seen that with other people, but there are going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to say, wow, you know, there's, this is, this is, I need to look at this a little more closely. This is powerful enough that they're not even playing a playoff game. You know, I mean, that's, I just think there's a strength behind this that, that goes beyond trying to figure out where it's going to lead. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, on the one hand, you think like, well, whatever, it's just sports. But for them, it's their whole life, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're basically saying like, we will give up the only thing that we do that brings us fame and fortune and money and whatever without a second thought. Right. Because the calculation is so clear. The calculation is simply, is there something more important than the thing we do? The answer is yes. And so we're going to stop. Like that's a that's just such a... It's the purity of that action is so moving to me yes. that it's like it's what it's the thing that we do and we're not going to do it anymore um, because um, because we believe that attention should be paid to something else and the way to get attention. I mean, here's here's the thing that really needs to be said. None of this happens without Colin Kaepernick. That's like, right. It's been four or five years or whatever it's been since the Kaepernick thing started. And at the time, and this is where you see the Overton window shift yes. dramatically through one person's actions. It's been four years, I think, since Kaepernick kneeled for the first time and started getting screamed at by people. And he was alone. He was alone, utterly alone very in that much. landscape at the very beginning. And now you go ahead a very short amount of time and you've got players shutting down the entire NBA. Yeah, You've got teams shutting down baseball games. You've got the WNBA shutting down, you've got tennis players shutting down tournaments like Colin Kaepernick, you know, 50 years from now, Colin Kaepernick will be studied and, and um, revered in, in a similar way, not the same way, but a similar way to people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King yeah, Jr. Yeah. Like it really is. Um, it can't be overstated how, how it, this, this movement needed someone to do something to kick it off. And he was the one who did it. And, um, and I, so it starts with Kaepernick and then it moves. And I, I tweeted about this last night. It, it then moves to people like LeBron James, who mm -hmm. LeBron James walks onto the court in an, I can't breathe, um, hoodie and t-shirt and, um, and takes the court publicly in warmups before a game. Like that's the most famous and revered athlete maybe in the country maybe the at world. that moment yeah and so for him to do that it was it gave cover and safety for other people to do it too without fear of reprisal and now you've got so it goes it starts with Kaepernick and it spreads in a little bit in the NFL it moves to LeBron and now you've got 
George Hill doing it. And you've got, mm-hmm. you know, you've got mm-hmm. Naomi Osaka doing it like that. Uh, the, the courageousness of the individuals who didn't have um, cover, who didn't have, um, you know, I, I'm untouchable. You, you, you have to deal with me if you're the league or the owner of my team or whatever. Um, that deserves a lot of attention too, because nope, no this doesn't happen without, without Kaepernick and then without LeBron and, and, and Megan Rapinoe, we were talking about that also, yeah. you know, yesterday, I mean, these are, these are people and, and it's, it's really interesting because 30 or 40 or 50 years from now, maybe 20 or even 10 years from now, I think people will be talking about Kaepernick. And my suspicion is that much like Martin Luther King and much like Rosa Parks and much like. Malcolm X, even to to this day, um, the story will be cleaned up a little bit, right? It'll 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 sort of be told in a little more fairy tale, like rather than what we really witnessed with with Colin Kaepernick, which was extraordinary anger and fury and blackballing. I mean, it it literally did cost him his career, and and people who you would not expect to have been on the wrong side of that argument were and and talked about how oh, he wasn't that good a player anyway i mean this was literally what people were saying about kaepernick um as an excuse for why he couldn't get a job in the nfl for peacefully kneeling during the the national anthem in the most respectful way he possibly could he talked to veterans mm-hmm. about it before he did it i mean it was it was just absolutely as well thought out and as and as as positive uh, a protest can be, and he he paid for it with his career. He really did. And so you know later, I think, yeah, and much in the same way that that people want to make it sound like Martin Luther King, you know, he 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 gave a speech and everybody loved him, and he, he was reviled in this country. I mean, sixty yeah. percent of Americans hated him, and 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 that's after the march on Washington. Yeah. I mean, this is it's so so the story gets cleaned up a lot. But you know what? By the time the story gets cleaned up, hopefully things are better. And so uh, so there's no question that where where uh, Colin Kaepernick took this. And I think there are other there's one other point to be made, and, and that is not only have these players and I think Colin Kaepernick's the first one to show it. Uh, in recent times, you, you mentioned Ali and and and, uh, you know, the 1968 Olympics. There are others who have done it, certainly. But players realize they have power too. And, and yeah. I think, I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, they realized the bucks realized that pe- they could not be ignored if they didn't go out there and played. They, they absolutely could not be ignored and they weren't, they're not ignored. They, they, they shifted the entire story. And, and so I, I think that's a great thing too. I mean, LeBron wearing a shirt, had real impact on 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 the country and so so i think that's also a very strong point for these for these athletes is they realize they can make a huge difference you know yeah and uh, my great hope is that the that the athletes realize that not only and this is where the 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 covid thing comes in right, right. is that they realize that not only do they have this enormous power in terms of the amount of attention that's given to them and the amount of um, sort of focus of the country when they are doing their thing, but also that like, you know, for a long time, you and I have talked about many times about the essential unfairness of 
the way that football players are treated in their union versus the way that baseball players are treated, where football players have the shortest careers, the highest risk of injury, you know, their contracts are not guaranteed. They can be cut at any time, blah, 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 blah. Well, college athletes are, it's even worse. They're not paid. (laughs) They they have the same risk of injury. Their chances of going on and making any money in the future are minuscule and their labor is being vacuumed up and and uh, used by this university system and the NCAA to generate billions and billions and billions of dollars for a lot of people who aren't them like for for the schools and for the coaches you know Jim Harbaugh I'm a Michigan fan right Jim Harbaugh is out there saying uh no we got to play it's important it's yeah. you know America the bald eagles the flag etc and uh and it's like well you know you make 10 million bucks yeah you know uh, i think if if the players made 10 million bucks they might be a little more interested in that argument because they're weighing risk and reward but most of those guys are never going to sniff the nfl most right. of them this right. is it and and when they're not getting paid at all for their labor and their risk is the normal risk of playing football, which is enormous, mixed with this new fun risk of, hey, at any moment you could get sick and develop, you know, heart tissue disorders right. and be, uh, you know, essentially weakened and, and or, um, you know, in pain and agony or, for the rest of your life. Right. Or, 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 uh, uh, infect someone you love too. Yeah, by exactly. The way. <laughs> right. You like have that, not only have that happen to you, but have it happen to 17 other people in your family or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so my great hope is that out of all of this unpleasantness and misery and suffering and anguish comes the, the, the real revelation on the part of these athletes, college athletes and pro athletes, that they have enormous power, that they can wield that power fairly uh, on their own behalf, that they can speak up on their own behalf and and be treated better because um, college athletes, you know, you you accept a, a, a ham sandwich from the wrong person and you're ruled ineligible to play. And meanwhile, they don't have enough money to buy food and and health care and whatever else they need. Right. And meanwhile, you know, there's like look at the SEC, like the SEC is on par with professional sports leagues in terms of its ratings and its popularity and it, and its impact on the sports world. No doubt. And those guys are, if you're the backup safety for LSU, you might not play a single play in the entire season. And yet your participation is a hundred percent necessary in order for that g- enormous money generating machine to keep generating the money that it generates. And those people have power and, there is a, there's a way in which out of all of this awfulness, something good can happen in the long term for the for sports and in a larger sense for the culture, which is that these people can have can come into their own power and they can understand their own power and they can use their own power to improve the world in which they live. And but that it, both in terms of the way that they are treated and the way that they value their own labor and also in this much larger and and more important sort of cultural sense where they understand that through that power, they can affect real change. And I'll be very interested to see, you know, the NBA is unquestionably the most sort of progressive league um, out of all of them. But there are certainly plenty of people, someone brought up the Rockets owner, who I made a donation, I think of $10 million to Houston um, on behalf of the police force. Um, And it's, 
it's like, well, that, there's something that can happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> they can yeah. have a they can have a conversation with their owner, and they can say like, hey, that here's what matters to us, and here's what we here's what we want, and guess what? If you don't change the way that you uh, go about, you know, everyone has a right to his own uh, political beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you also are. You are the uh, owner and operator of a team in a league that has a very specific set of beliefs and goals, and you got to pay attention now. You can't ignore us. And and the proof that you can't ignore us is what happened last night. It's that if you do ignore us and you refuse to take into consideration what we value and what we think is important in the world, goodbye. We're not playing. And that, I think, is is at least now the very real potential that these people have to pay more attention to the people that work for them. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent right. hundred percent right. So our producer, Marissa keeps sending me little tweets about new things. So Passon, our dear friend, Jeff Passon reported that Boston Red Sox players have strongly considered not playing tonight's game against the Blue Jays to protest against social injustice. The teams are currently talking and offered one another support, regardless of whether they decide to play or not. So, there you go. That's your club. That's your. Yeah, it's my club. club. I mean, frankly, with very unimportant in the large scheme of things. But it would be a relief if the Red Sox didn't play a game. <laughs> <laughs> they really should just. They should absolutely say our season is over and pretend it's for social injustice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, it's it's because they are absolutely a, a awful. They're just wow. I mean, you know, look uh, it, it, as we as we put too much meaning into our podcast. Um, Let's go back to the Red Sox. They're terrible. I mean, this yeah. is this is the worst Red Sox team of your life. In some ways, that's a great thing that it's in this season that you get the worst Red Sox team of your life because nothing really seems to matter. And who knows that they might cancel the season tomorrow. So, so in some ways, it's better that way, I suppose. But wow, did you ever see the Red Sox being this bad again? Well, you know, look. I'm not sure it's the worst. There have been some bad Red Sox teams in my life. Um, I'm not sure it's the worst. It's among the worst, certainly. Um, And, you know, and in addition to just being a bad roster, they've also had a lot of bad luck. You know, Chris Sale's arm and then um, Erod's shoulder and and then COVID uh, hitting him. And he has, you know, he has seemingly a, a more serious heart problem because he contracted COVID, um, which if there's ever a warning sign for why college athletes shouldn't be playing, look at Edwin Rodriguez. Um, So, you know, um, it's, it's not any fun to have your team uh, be this bad. But again, as I've said before, I'm not complaining, you know, (laughs) it's been okay for you. Yeah. It's been okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And, and, you know, I have, I think since the last time you and I spoke on one of these uh, podcasts, I have watched a few more baseball games than I had at the time. And, uh, and I'm beginning to like, I'm be- I, you know, the NBA playoffs were a much bigger draw for me personally, but I've watched a few more baseball games and I, I have found some joy in watching baseball. Like there have been things to celebrate that blue Jays team is so fun to watch. Um, the Braves now that, now that uh, the Braves team is the rosters back up and running, I mean that that Braves team. If Soraka doesn't go down, I feel like that Braves team could win the World Series. Oh, yeah. Don't you think? Nope, they nope. might anyway. Um, so th- there is there is fun to be had in the world of baseball, and I, I have enjoyed watching it. Um, but it, it's it is a bummer when your team is as bad as the Red Sox are well, this year. It's it's it's. Uh... 
you know, it, it, you've had a, you've had a pretty good run. So I'm not, I'm not telling you, I feel in any way bad for you. Cause I don't, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a pretty good run. It's been a pretty good run. All right. Yeah. We, because we've had so much meaning in this, in this podcast, I feel like at least for a moment, we should break away and play, uh, a game, uh, that has been sent to us by, uh, Elaine Philadelphia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly elaine uh you might not remember elaine we've actually brought up elaine before on this podcast because elaine has developed uh and invented i think with her boyfriend or or husband or or somebody i don't remember i I know there was somebody else involved but they have invented uh a game uh called uh does gronk think that is that is the name of the game yes right Does, does gronk think so it's so the questions are uh, does Gronk think this or this? And, and so we have to, and I think we have to, we have to treat this, uh, with the respect it deserves and, and give, give our most honest answers. Okay. So you ready? All right. All right. Here we go. Ready. Does Gronk know that all cows are girls? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say not a chance. That no, Gronk knows that. no, no, absolutely not. Gronk, Gronk is not driving by like a field of cows and thinking they're all girls. There's no I mean, way. The, the Gronk, Gronk knows nothing beyond the word cow. He knows what a cow <laughs> is, but he doesn't know if you asked him what do cows do or or why do cows matter or anything like that. He he he's stumped. Okay. Does Gronk know where Bangkok, his favorite city he's never been, is? Does he know? No. no. <laughs> Oh, Come so on. so when he calls Bangkok his favorite city that he's never been in, what is he thinking? I uh, I mean, he's uh, he's not thinking anything beyond what those two syllables are, <laughs> right? I mean, it, he just it sounds cool, is what you're saying. It's just yeah. like it's a cool sounding thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Does Gronk know that the Netherlands and Holland are the same place? That come on, that's come that's on. that's obvious. That's that's obvious. Uh, does Gronk think that Dr. Seuss was a medical practitioner? No, I'm going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to say he knows who Dr. Seuss is because I think the last book he read was <laughs> I Am Sam. Or Sam I Am or whatever. Sam it I Am. Is. Uh, yeah. I, no, isn't is that is Green Eggs and Ham is Sam I Am, right? Oh, is it? I thought there was an, its own book. Maybe I don't know I'm, if he had I, if he I, had a sequel, if he had like a like a spinoff, like that was. But I think uh, the original right. Sam I Am is in Green X and Am. Right? <laughs> I Am Sam is the is the is the Sean Penn movie. <laughs> so maybe I'm not one to be commenting on how dumb Gronk is right now. Since, oh, <laughs> since I just love, confused. I'm sorry. Now I love the I Am Sam that Sean Penn is Sam, and just with the dark music and and yeah uh, yeah yeah. Green it's a, it's a searing uh, it's a searing uh, portrait of Sam I Am. Uh, told in in like a harsh, uh, harsh you know, reality. By the way, you, exci- you you excited about this new Batman movie? Apparently, they're going to break really down into the psychic, uh, to the psychotic uh, nature of Batman, which really hasn't been explored. I don't think. No, it hasn't. I'm so I'm so happy that somebody is finally like, what if we made a Batman movie, but it were like sort of dark and moody? Dark. I think it's moody. it's about time. Uh, there's so much left to be explored there. You know, I don't think we've really ever. Have we ever learned like why Batman is who he is? Like what trauma <laughs> happened in his childhood that could have we've led him never, to this? But I don't think we've I, ever learned that in any of the 204 movies <laughs> that have been made over the last eight years. Which is weird. You would think that would be something they would focus on at least a little bit, right? At least yeah. a little bit. So 
kind of an origin story for Batman. Yeah, what, like what, we like why what what happened to him? Like what happened that made him into Batman? Like we don't know. We don't know. Was it his childhood? Was it something in his childhood? We don't know. I don't know. I mean, hopefully we'll find out. I mean, I also think it's great that it's like, yes, okay, you know, he's a he's a, a vigilante who wears a costume, but like there's something kind of dark about that, you know, like <laughs> Let's get into that. Let's get into that aspect of it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, you know, it's, no one's no one's ever done that before. I'm really excited about this. It's very exciting. Very exciting. All right, two more. If you ask Gronk to name who's on the Supreme Court, would he say Judge Judy? No, I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't he would just not be able to name anyone. I think he would just be like pass. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think he probably knows that there is something called the Supreme Court, <laughs> um, but I don't think he i don't think he would well, he might say judge judy as a joke but he right. wouldn't actually think judge judy yeah i don't think I, I i don't think he would think that all right last one does gronk understand that the moon is still there during a new moon or does he think new moon means we actually got a new moon hmm it's a good one it's a good that one. is a good one yeah we I... wrote a joke on on parks and rec um there was a season where Chris Pratt had to be in, in England cause he was shooting the first guardians of the galaxy movie. And we only had him for like a couple episodes out of the first six or seven we shot. And we wrote it, we wrote in this episode where he came back from London in, in the show, in the world of the show, he was all, he also got a job in London and we wrote an episode where he came back and he was with April, who was his um, wife at the time. Right. And, uh, and he's, he's saying goodbye to her and he says, you know, if you miss me, just look up at the moon and know that somewhere I am also looking at a moon, not the same moon. Obviously that's impossible. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I think that's what I, I think it's possible that, that Gronk, I mean, it's, it's certainly true that he doesn't understand why there are phases of the moon. Like he doesn't understand shadows and, and penumbras and, and rotations and revolutions and, no, and that no, sort of thing. No. I'm not sure. I don't think he thinks there's an actual new moon every time, but I, I also don't believe that he would be able to explain what happens to the moon when you can't see it. <laughs> no, I think that's right. I think that's right. If it, it just the the new moon thing, he would just it would just he he would just accept it, whatever it is. It's like oh, whatever. It's, it's yeah. Fine. I think he would probably think that when you can't see the moon, it's just because it's like on the other side of the earth or something. Yeah. Or, no, you know, think- like it's oh, like people in China could see it. And you can't because that's it's over there. It's over there. That's that's yeah. what he thinks. What was the what was the uh, the Parks and Rec line when when you guys filmed in Washington and you talked about the White House? It was something like the like the, the it's called the White House because or it was something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. That's I think that would be a good Gronk question. Did, yeah, why, I, why no, I, I can't remember offhand, <laughs> but he was uh, yeah he. He uh, he had some interesting facts that he was he was pretending to be a tour guide. <laughs> he would be a tour guide, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, well that'll that'll be something for next time. We'll I'll remember what those jokes I'll remember were. Remember that was all right. Let's go through a couple of questions and then uh, we're going to go to our draft. Actually, before we get to a couple of questions, you talked about fun baseball things. Kind of the biggest on field baseball thing. Well, you know, we just had a no hitter, which was kind of fun, um, but. I think was the Fernando Tatis Jr. home run on 3-0, right? Yeah. Like that was it's like the one thing that seemed to break through and put baseball sort of in this trending 
you know, whatever you want to call that trending spot, you know, where people right. were actually talking a little bit about baseball. So for those that don't remember, uh, Fernando Tessis Jr. at the time and still continuing, uh, was the hottest hitter on earth. Uh, he had gone on some sort of crazy, crazy streak and stretch where he was impossible to get out. And he had hit a home run earlier that day to do tie for the lead, uh, the league lead. And by the way, let me let me just throw out one other thing. The White Sox, who are really fun right now, they had Fernando Tatis Jr., man. They, yep. they had him. And they traded him. And I'm not even going to say who they traded him for because it's so <laughs> awful. It's just, <laughs> big game, James. I, I mean, what? What could possibly have been happening there in Chicago? What what they could they possibly have been thinking? Anyway, it's really sad because because with Jimenez and Moncada, like they like that lineup would be so devastating oh, right now. That now. that lineup yeah. would be and and Abreu I think is the is the league leader in home runs right now. Exactly like I, right. I I mean that that lineup right now would be um would rival the Yankees really for oh. for just number of 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 oh no this guy's up again, kind of hitters. Like it would be really, uh, I mean, they're still really good. They're still like the White Sox are, they're good are and they're fun. They're yeah, good. They're really and fun. they're really a lot of fun. And, and look, it should be said Tatis junior was 18 or something when they traded him. However, it will always be in the transactions always that not only did they trade Fernando Tatis for James Shields to the Padres for James Shields, they had to throw in Eric Johnson. Like that wasn't <laughs> enough. Like, that, like oh, yeah, Tatis is fine, but we really want uh, you to throw in an extra player for us here. Yeah. So uh, anyway, 3-0 count later in the game. They uh, Padres were up by seven runs. 3-0 count. I guess the the manager um, flashed the take sign or the third base coach flashed the take sign. Tatis Jr. missed it. I'm putting those in quotes. He clearly did not want to see it. Uh, and then he hit a home run, 3-0, and the traditionalist police came out in a uh, dramatic fashion to say how terrible that was. So where do you stand on the 3-0 home run? I mean, come on, guys. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we what, doing like, this, this is a real beggars can't be choosers kind of a situation. Like, right. Right. You, the game has evolved to the point where the three-true outcome hitter is now every hitter. Right with shifting and and um and everything else that's gone on, it's home run walk or strikeout. So now you're saying we should also take home runs away. Would <laughs> like that? Like I mean, I, I you know I think there are certain um there are certain rules that uh that should remain in place in the in the under the category of you know uh, uh, quote play the game the right way end quote. For example. If you're up by ten runs, don't steal second. Like there's there's one right, right. right. Just because because right. it it is not really necessary, but um, but you can't take the bat out of people's hands in any no. situation. You no. just got to let people swing. And and the like the um the it's crazy to me that base anyone in baseball is still pounding this drum of like let's play the game the right way when the game is just disappearing before our eyes. Like it, the game is becoming more irrelevant to the, to the culture every single day. And now you want to take one of the th three most exciting players in the game and tell him he can't play like, uh, no, no, that guy gets to swing three. Oh, if they're up by 20, like exactly. I just, I'm sorry. Like, uh, and you know, look, the, it, it's, there's this weird thing happening where 
baseball traditionalists are so have have been pounding this particular drum for so long about playing the game the right way that the response to them of the, what exactly what I'm saying is now as common as the is their response right yes, it's right. like right. there's so many people there may be more people who think what I think and what you think yeah. so when you say things like that you're also running the risk of people going like I know of course <laughs> yes shut up and but like it doesn't matter like until until the traditionalists stop uh, whining and complaining about stuff like that we're going to keep responding in the way that we're responding which is to say you have to let these guys do their thing like uh, it you know if they were up by 20 runs then i would say okay fine don't don't maybe don't swing cuz it's 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 a little bit uh iffy or whatever and if they're up by 15 and somebody steals third okay fine <laughs> Like there are certain things that are just sort of respectful that you're like, Oh, well, you don't have to do that. Come on yeah, guys. Yeah. Like, we're, we're playing out the string that, you know, it's the eighth inning and we're just get the game over with. But I mean, you've, you, you've got to be kidding me. The, yeah. the idea that, that that was in some way. And also like, as, as again, a very large number of people said like, Hey, throw a better pitch. Right, you know? <laughs> right. Don't go, don't fall behind three Oh and throw a yeah. better pitch because nobody would have said a word if it was a 3-1 pitch that he hit out, right? right? Nobody says right. a word. And nobody says a word if he pops out. I mean, maybe his manager right. said something to him, but nobody nobody cares if he pops out. It's the fact that he hit a home run, he did his job so well. And it's just, you know, but I will say, even though there were certainly some traditionalists, including both managers, who, who griped about it, a lot of people who I would normally see on the other side of this, like Johnny Bench and and – other traditionalists, you know, that, that you would consider traditionalists absolutely fell on the side of, come on, man, you can't take the bat out of his hand. He's three out. Yeah. Yeah. It's baseball. Come on. I mean, if, if you don't want to be in that situation, don't fall behind three out. And, and by the way, seven runs, I don't think anything begins at seven runs. Like no. I, seven runs can absolutely be, you can, you can have a seven run inning. Like that's seven runs is, is a nice lead, but that's, you don't shut things down up seven runs or down seven runs. Give me a break. No. Yeah. And it's funny because there's also, there's another side of the, uh, which like in, in, of course, this is the case. There's another side of the traditionalist approach to this, which is like, you play to the final out, you play yeah. hard, you yeah. know, you don't let up. Right. Like it's like right. the, the traditionalist approach to these things contradicts itself all the time. You know, it's, oh, yeah. If you he know, had it, hit a ground ball 3-0 and not run it out, they would have yelled at him for not running it out. <laughs> Come on, that's not how the game is played. You run it out. That actually would have been runs. it would have been funny if he had walked and then sprinted to first because the same exact people would have been like, "You know what? That's great. He's it's, uh, it's Charlie Hustle all over again." <laughs> all right, let's do a few questions and then we're going to go to our draft. Uh all right, so let's see. Spooky Magdalene wants to know what sport has the best ball. We've had a draft about that already. Mm -hmm. It's baseball, right? Baseball is the it's best baseball, ball. Yeah. It's baseball, yeah. What, what do we say? It was baseball, and then maybe golf was number two. We like the golf ball. The golf ball is a very strong ball. You know what ball I like is the is the rugby ball. I oh, like sure. It, I like it better than the football. It's like really big. It's like a big football, and it's kind yeah. of I, – I, I like the rugby ball. All right. Mason wants to know what's the best Roger Moore Bond movie. I mean, aren't they all sort of tied? <laughs> They're all tied with Moonraker. That's basically what I would say. <laughs> and by the way, do you even know, like, I mean, at some point, like, you know, a little bit of the early ones and the late ones, but 
like all those middle ones, like, do you even know if it's Roger Moore or Sean Connery, right? Like, no, I don't. I'm also, I'm not a huge Bond guy. That's never been my thing. I, is it never say never again that Christopher Walken is in? I think that, I think think that's right, but I don't, I don't remember whether that's Roger Moore or Sean Connery, but I kind of like that one because Walken is so fun. And I think Grace Jones is the, is the sort of like love interest and she was cool. And yes. I think that if Roger Moore's in that one, I'll say that one. Okay. All right. I don't know if Roger Moore's in that one. We'll have uh, our producer, Marissa. Well, there's no way to tell. We'll never, we'll never know. (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) Regular guy wants to know how many masks would Leslie Nope sew for each member of her department? Ooh, great question. Um, (laughs) Definitely one and a backup. Yes. And probably two backups. And they would all be sort of personalized. They would all have, designs on them that were specific to that person. Um, you know, she would, uh, she would definitely like, uh, and she would, um, I, I think what she would probably do is do, do three, right. She would give each person one three. and a backup and then keep a second backup for, <laughs> for, for, for the moment back. where they lost one of them. Um, and she might even do four, have like a backup to the backup to the backup <laughs> that she kept, you know, like a safe place so that if you lost, the two backups, she would have like an emergency backup. Well, and then she would have, well, don't you think she would have like, like as the quality of, of mask uh, material grows, like she would, she would constantly update. Yo, no question. Yes. As, as, as the old mask where these are new ones. Right. And she would definitely have the, do the ones where, um, you know, you have like the slot inside the interior of the mask for like a filter. So you definitely do that. Like it would be, they would be of the highest quality. They would be, they would be like 70 to 80% safer than the safest possible guidelines that were out there. Yeah. And and I should say, uh, because my wife basically is Leslie Nope. uh, That's what she does. She makes masks and she has the slot. She puts filters in there. And uh, if you go to my Twitter, you can see the baseball uh, masks that she made for me, which is one of four masks that she made for me. And, uh, and we've actually, she, she now sends them to friends. So, so if you're interested in a mask, I mean, we're not, I'm not going to ask her for you, but you know, but, <laughs> but she'd probably do it. If you, if you reach out to her on Twitter and ask her for a mask, she'd probably send you one. I'm just telling you that's, that's, that's how she is. All right. Uh, let's see. Carl wants to know, does your normal peanut butter usage qualify as hoarding? Yes. On my end, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. It I, I guess I guess it depends on the definition of hoarding. I mean, right. there's definitely always a full jar and a backup jar and usually a second backup right. jar right. in the house. Like I, I feel like when I when we're down to like only a, an open jar and a and a full, yeah, full reserve one. jar, we then go out and get more. <laughs> that's how we are too. Yeah. I mean, so that's, if, that, if that's like hoarding a jar then, and yeah. a half, a jar and a half does not feel safe to me. No, no at no. all. At all. No, that's a that's a danger zone. <laughs> what What would you say your percentage of peanut butter and jelly sandwich has gone up during the pandemic? Well, you know, it was already pretty high. Yes, um, but would you? But is it up fifty percent? I'd say for me, it's up a hundred percent. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, just I wasn't home that much. I wasn't, you know, I was traveling more and doing other stuff. And now I'm home every day, and every single day I go, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich would be good right about now. I would say mine is probably up 50% okay. or so. Like, I think I have like, I think I have one more sandwich every, th- than I used to every couple days, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, uh, something like that. But I'll, but also, I think if you did just peanut butter usage, then it's a it's up probably a hundred percent because I like my when I like need a snack. Yes, I do like carrots and peanut butter. See, I do apples or, and peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, Delicious. apples and peanut butter is big. Yeah, so oh. peanut butter usage I'll say up a hundred percent. Peanut butter and jelly usage up fifty. That's yeah. that's a rough estimate. I'd say that's the national average. That that, that <laughs> seems about right. Walt wants to know, it's been a while since your Taylor Swift draft, which by the way, for those of you who are just joining us for, for the first time or early, that really happened. We really did do that. We did yeah. draft Taylor Swift songs. Can you give us your thoughts on folklore? I really like it. It's delightful. It's yeah. really good. It's, there's a, there's a, I don't want to say a depth because that makes it sound like, like, like it, it makes it sound like it's like a, her attempt at a serious album. And I don't think that's what it is. But I think there is like a maturity to it that that I like very much. It's delightful. Yeah. yeah, I think it's really good. My wife is obsessed with it, and and we listen to it in the car pretty much nonstop. Um, that song "Exile" with Bon Iver is, yes. is really great. It's really great. Like, yeah, really there's great. there's some really really beautiful songs on that album. Yeah, that was not the answer you were expecting, but sorry, that's what you're getting from us. Too I'm bad. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Dave wants to know what are the best and worst animals to have as a mascot for your team. See, here's what I think. Let me just throw one out there to you. Sure. There should be more bears out there. Huh. I think bears are a great mascot. And you got the bears and you got the cubs, which is also delightful that they're just like, we're not even full bears. We're just going with the cubs. We just want them when they're little. You got the grizzlies. You have the grizzlies. That's true. I just think bears are a great mascot. Uh, yeah, it's like they're they're almost, it's like they're so basic or something that yeah, it, they're not appealing, true. but they're they're enormous powerful killing machines. Like the, you should there should you're right, there should be more I think I think you're right. Like I um I mean the the Vancouver Grizzlies was a great name yes. and it's yes. sad that 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 it was one of those weird transplanted right. Uh, teams Memphis makes a lot less sense. <laughs> well, it's there's two things. One is Memphis has so many cool things about it. I mean, you could do Memphis Blues. You can do there's so many cool things about Memphis that you could actually use that are your own. And there are no bears in Memphis. I mean, that's no. just it's it's so it's it hurts on both ends. It hurts that that the name doesn't match, but it also to me it hurts that that Memphis isn't taking advantage of of what makes it special. That's yeah, it's a real um. That's a real Los Angeles Lakers situation. Yes, exactly. Like um, LA doesn't have enough cool things that they could use to name, you know, their teams. They have to go with Lakers. Come on. Yeah. I, I, it still is amazing to me that they never change it to like the LA Showtime or something right, like that. Right. Like the Showtime Lakers is such a great nickname for a specific team, but it also would be a great nickname for the franchise. Totally. Um, and totally the, right. they yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies is is absurd. It's the Utah Jazz of of this era. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but it, uh, but in terms of what's the best, um, I mean, uh, honestly, I know I'm a Michigan fan, but the Michigan Wolverines is pretty good. Yeah, like Wolverines, Wolverines is cool. It is. It's um, I, yeah, like a the the um, I like it when it's it, it, like there's some like you know like the San Jose Sharks or whatever. Okay, fine. Like sharks are fine. Bears are fine. <laughs> But I kind of like it when it's like a small, powerful animal. Like there's something cool about like the badgers is a cool <laughs> nickname, I think. <laughs> you know, it's like unexpected. And and um, yeah. it's just that it, get, it conjures up an image of like scrappy kind of tough little, little, you know, uh, rabble rousers. 
<laughs> and it's a perfect Wisconsin thing. It's just like a perfect, like, uh, like, uh, you know, it just fits what they are anyway, you know, what they're trying to be. So I yeah. like that. By the way, worst animals. And, and I've, I've never, it's, it doesn't bother me because I've, I've long stopped thinking of this team's nickname in, in the animal form, but Cardinals is a terrible animal to name your yeah. team after. Yeah. <laughs> really is yeah Why? i mean blue like cardinals? blue jays like the blue jays at least have a reputation in the bird uh kingdom for right. being like for being angry and tough like blue jays are like famously the kind of tough and like eagles obviously hawks whatever sure. right. but cardinals is just and and orioles at least has some some um history to it right yeah but does do the St. Louis Cardinals is that anything do the cardinals have like is there a is there a missouri cardinal that's like a is that a part of the history of Missouri? It must be in some way, right? I don't know that. I, I it doesn't it doesn't uh, make a lot. They're, they're, the state bird of Missouri I just looked up is the eastern bluebird, <laughs> which is by the way the exact opposite of the cardinal. That's, That's like, right. like, like they are they are the exact opposite birds. So yeah, I I mean you know I, I know this is going to upset cardinal fans who love their team. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your your team to to the nth degree and and go yachty all that. Uh, it's just not a good name. It's just no. not a. It's not. It's you know. I'm not saying to change it. Can't change it. That's it. You're stuck with it. But yeah, but, yeah. But, if you've got 120 years or whatever behind you, you it's kind of like, well, what's the point? Unless it's you know, unless it's a Washington football team situation, <laughs> right? Unless you're offending people. And yeah. I've not heard a single Cardinal offended by the name. No, not yet. Um. All right, let's see here. A couple more. All right. Uh, a couple of questions about Fernando Tatis. One question I like is whether he's Ken Griffey Jr. fun or Mike Trout fun, which is kind of a, a fun question. I don't know if you saw that story the other day about how uh, all actors are either Batman or the Joker. Which was, <laughs> it was, it's really fun. It's a really fun piece. So, so you know, I could see you arguing, you know, you making the point that Ken Griffey Jr. fun and Mike Trout fun are a little bit different, even though they're both obviously amazing players who played center field and made great catches and did all that. But, but, you know, just a little bit different. Yeah. He's more Ken Griffey Jr. to me than Mike Trout. I I think because Griffey's Griffey had that sort of slightly iconoclastic feeling to him, you know, like wearing his hat backwards and, and uh, he didn't really care what people thought and whatever. And um, I, I I don't think he's either of them exactly, but I think he's more Griffey. Trout is just so mechanically brilliant. Um, he, he's not, you know, he's a, a he's just sort of like a, a robot that was assembled in a lab to play <laughs> baseball. Um, yes. And he, he it, it, I think Tatis has a little lot. more sort Flash. of Elon or something yeah, <laughs> spirit yeah. or something than, than, uh, well, than look, Trout does. Trout is tremendous fun to watch, but Trout is like fun to watch in, in the way that, uh, you know, here, here's, here's, you go. I'll bring up my football example. Trout is Emmett Smith. Okay. Trout is sort of the perfect running back machine. The guy that's going to lead you to Super Bowls. Although obviously the angels have found a way to blunt that, uh, that talent. Uh, but just he's going to always get you the first down and always going to just be be he's going to catch the ball. He's going to block. He's going to do absolutely everything right. And he's going to be, you know, uh, an all time great. And uh, Griffey is more like Barry Sanders, just more 
fun. You don't really know what's going to happen. It's, it's, you know, there's a beauty to watching him. That's, that's a little bit different. Um, but you know, but, but I, I wouldn't necessarily pick him over, over Emmett Smith. In fact, I wouldn't pick him over Emmett Smith. So, so there you go. So I think Tatis has that, that, that fun and, 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 and sort of grace that junior has, which makes him a lot of fun. Um, but I think Trout's better than both of them. I mean, See, you know, I think that's how yeah. go. I think I think it's a Federer Nadal thing. Oh, that's a good one too. That's good too. Yeah, I think Trout is Federer. It's just it's just unparalleled excellence in every facet of the game. It's it's precision and um and just relentless greatness. Yeah. Uh in forehand and backhand and serving and volleying and yeah. in everything. everything. And yeah. then Griffey and Tatis are more in the Nadal, the kind of flair. There's a little more flair to him, you know. Uh, as great as Federer is, his um, the things that are sort of breathtaking about him are just the excellence with which he plays. And Nadal has a more sort of swashbuckling yeah. Um, yeah, feeling I, to him, or something. I can see that. There's a grace that Federer plays with, though, that would remind me a little bit of of uh, of uh, Griffey. I mean, you know, I think you throw Djokovic in there too, and Djokovic is, you know, sort of that that uh, you know. I would say Federer. I would say if you're in your once you're in a point, Nadal or Djokovic are more likely to hit the shot that blow your mind, right? Like yeah. they're they're the ones that are going to run, you know, halfway across the court and hit some sort of absurd shot that that uh, that that beats you, and you can't believe it. You just your jaw drops. So that's the Griffey element, and I think Tatis has a lot of that. So that was probably more than than you expected, uh, uh, reader, listener. Uh, but um, but that's what we got. All right, that should be the official, um, the new official tagline of the uh, podcast is more than you expected. More than you expected, yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean wants to know what MLB team will sign Messi. Actually, the better question might be what position will he play for the Yankees? Yeah, Messi is going to hit three forty one for the Yankees <laughs> uh, as, as their shortstop and lead them to the World Series, and then and then just. Walk away. By the way, what what do you think of like people that actually think Messi would come to play in the MLS? I don't think it's impossible. I really don't. I mean, I don't think it'll be now because he's oh yeah later he might of course yeah when he's forty he'll probably come and play for the Galaxy or or for LAFC or something, um, and he'll still be the best player in the league <laughs> when he's forty. Um, but I you know right you think he's, he's you think he's going. To- I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, him leaving Barcelona is such a shock it that it must mean that he has some kind of specific destination. He must want to live in uh, in Liverpool or right. or uh, or London or something. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's maybe it's Milan. Who knows? Like, I, I don't know what he has in mind, but he he'd certainly had he wouldn't have made that sort of shocking decision unless he had a specific place that he wanted to play, because when you're when you're messy, you don't just go like, well, let's see what happens. You like, you're calling your own shot at some level. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it, it, I think that his, you know, his, um, the temptation to come to America when he's past the point where the premier league or the Bundesliga or any league in Europe really has a lot of use for him will be too great because he'll be showered with riches and it'll be like when uh, Zlatan came. Right. Um, well, I mean, going way back, like when Pele came, right. Where it right. was like at the end and, and obviously that was a, the North American soccer league, but still look, I just, I mean, he is so cool. 
in so in every single possible way as as a player. I mean, you know, it's just there's no doubt in my mind that him at 40, even if he's already started to put on a few pounds and he no longer really cares that much, he can still do magic. I mean, it's like yeah. I, like whatever it is that makes him different from every single other player, like I don't think you lose that. Like no, he'll slow no. down and he'll do all these other things, but he'll he'll still blow your mind. So yeah, and and people more importantly, probably people will pay to see him oh, like yeah. that, and which is the which is the you know that's the real end goal of of coming to America when you're 38 or 39 is right. like you're a competition monster and you love playing in front of a crowd and there's a place where you can come and play. I mean, you know, the MLS is like you know the, these it, it's pretty incredible what's happened to that league, like there are a large number of teams that sell out. Oh, you it's, know, that, and it's fabulous. It's, yeah. I mean, the atmosphere is fabulous. Look, the soccer yeah. level is still significantly lower than it is obviously in the premier league or in Italy or, you know, I mean, that's just, it just is. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of time, but you watch a game in Portland or in Atlanta or, or Kansas city, or, you know, just a bunch of places. The LAFC is, is bananas. bananas. I mean, it's really, really fun. So, Good for them. I love it. And, and and by the way, that's a league that you can you can sort of the way they're being run, you can sort of bet on that league. You know, yeah. I mean they, they feel like they they really know what they're doing in a way that baseball doesn't always seem to know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> All right. Last question before our draft. Why don't we have better names for fingers besides thumb, index, middle, ring, and pinky? I'm going to take issue with the question. I think there's Broad nothing wrong Brad, with it. What's, what's wrong with those names? What's wrong with those names, Broad Brad? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I, I actually had not thought of the fact that we do have uh, names for, for all of our fingers. That's good. That's, that's I think a, a better question would be, why don't we have names for toes? We have good. pinky toe and big toe. Which right. Big toe is pretty lame. The other big ones are toes just definitely big. worse than thumb, right? And then we have, and then the middle three are just like, who cares? They're piggies. Yeah, we don't even count them. We just they they just go to market, and do whatever they do. <laughs> great point. It's a it's a it's a great point. And now uh, it's time for our draft, and uh, you know, I think people will be really. No, nah, I can't even. I can't even muster the energy to tell people they'll be happy about this draft. <laughs> um, I, usually, I'm like, I, I want to pump it up a little bit. Give a give a. No, I'm not doing that for this. We are drafting good things about the year 2020. That okay. is that is the draft, um, and I believe you have the first pick. Okay, so it's good things about the year 2020. Correct. That is that is what our draft is, and I have the first pick. Yeah. Uh, pass. Okay. So, so you're going to pass. I'm going to pass you. So you, you can pick. Okay. So my pick. So with my first pick, I've, I look, I've got, I've got this list in front of me here. Um, okay. That happened last year. Um, you know what? I'm going to pass. I'm going to, I'm going to pass my first pick. Okay. So it's you, it's your second pick now. Okay. So my second pick, uh, pass. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna pass on I'm your second. Pass. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the right strategy. Um, all right. Uh, so let me see here. Which one of these? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass okay. with my second pick. So I'm gonna pass. You go ahead. So it's my third pick now. Third pick now. It's time for your third okay. pick. Okay. Pass. Okay. Passing. Passing your third. So it's my third pick. Your third pick, right? 
Okay, so let me look and see what I've gotten so far. Be able to sort of finish this up. Pass. I'm going to pass on my third. Okay. Third pick. All right. So it's your. You have the fourth pick. Remember, the draft is good things that happened in the year 2020, and it's okay. your fourth pick. Oh, we got a uh, we got a puppy. Oh. But you know, uh, she's kind of annoying, and you have to wake up in the middle of the night and take her out and stuff. Uh, So I'll pass. I'm going to pass. Okay. All right. So you're going to pass on your fourth pick. Yeah. I'm trying to keep this this down. All right. Uh, With my fourth pick, um, well, our older daughter graduated from high school this year. Okay. That's that's a good thing, but but they they we couldn't go to her graduation because it was uh they they had a social distance graduation that right. they were going to have but then they canceled that because they they because of so i'm going to pass actually okay. with my, my fourth pick i think i'm going to pass okay so now it's this is my last pick it's your last pick for good things that that, that happened in the year 2020 good, good things not, that happened in 2020 right not a lot left on the board but but it's your fifth pick okay I pass. You pass. All right. Yeah. All right. So I'm, so my fifth pick, so this is good things, right? That happened in the year 2020, right? That's right. All right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. All right. There you go. So that was our draft of the good things that have happened in the year 2020. And, uh, now it's time. Who do you think won? Who do you think won? Serious question. You know, you getting the first pick was a big, a big that's move. what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think that because I had the first pick ultimately that, that, that puts me slightly in the lead. I think it's, it's going to be tough, but don't forget that fourth pick that I had. I, I thought yeah. that was a pretty emphatic pass. I think we may have tied. <laughs> it, might, it might be a tie. It might, well, you know what? I'm going to put a poll out. On Twitter, great idea. That's great. Let's leave it up to the people to Let's decide. Leave it up to the people to see who who won uh, the uh, year twenty twenty good things that happened in the year twenty twenty draft. Okay, so uh, but uh, we are about to do one last meaningless thing. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about one sort of meaningful. Well, I, I think pretty meaningful thing. Very cool thing. So uh, those of you who listen and and follow in general, you probably remember that earlier this summer. Um, we did a uh, special campaign to celebrate 100 years uh, since the founding of the Negro Leagues, and uh, it was really spectacular. Uh, the response was amazing. We we got uh, tributes from uh, four former living presidents and and uh, more than 20 Hall of Famers and and superstars in every sport and entertainment, and it was it was wonderful. And then. Last week, the uh, Major League Baseball had its salute to the Negro Leagues Day, where they had all the players tip their caps uh, to the Negro Leagues. It was very, very special. So that was really wonderful. And toward the end of the summer, for for reasons that that are still unclear to me, <clears throat> we were sort of asked to help out with a campaign <clears throat> to celebrate 100 years of women's suffrage, which we just passed the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment. And, uh, you know, that's a hundred years of, of women's suffrage, of course, 
really until 1965 with the Voting Rights Act, it, it excluded African-Americans and and various other, you know, uh, groups, Native Americans and Latinos and 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 immigrants in general have, have all, you know, dealt with their own fight for women's suffrage anyway. But to celebrate the 100th anniversary, we put together this campaign called First Woman Voter uh, with a lot a lot of women's groups uh, and and a bunch of other amazing people. And uh, you can go to firstwomanvoter.com. The videos there, there are more than 125 of them now. Uh, they're absolutely beautiful and extraordinary. And they're from, you know, four former first ladies. Uh, we, we just got videos, uh, yesterday from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We've got senators, Congress, women, um, mayors, uh, across, across the aisle, uh, educators, CEOs, uh, athletes, entertainers. Uh, it's really, really special. And, but, but to me, the most special part of all are these actual videos. They're they're people, you know, talking about their mother, their grandmother, their great grandmother, their aunt, their inspiration. Uh, the idea was for them to celebrate either the first woman voter in their family, the literal first woman, which a lot of people did, uh, but it's also to celebrate the woman who inspired you, inspired them uh, to cherish the vote and. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it. It, it. it involved a lot of people. I obviously played a very small role in it, but I'm very proud of of it. And I hope that you do go uh, to firstwomanvoter.com. And if you feel up to it, uh, trying to find out who the first woman voter in your family is and and posting it on social uh, with the hashtag firstwomanvoter, it's, uh, it's really, really special. So uh, I just wanted to let everybody know a little bit about that. This has been unquestionably the least meaningless podcast we've ever done. <laughs> I know. It's not good. It's not good. We got to get back to meaninglessness. But you know what? We need the world to participate in in us getting back to meaninglessness. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, I well, it depends, right? Because you don't we don't want to downplay the important and meaningful things right. that are happening. Those are important and meaningful. But we also have a strong desire to be meaningless. So it's sort of a balancing act. <laughs> You know what I think it's like? I think it really is like the Sean Doolittle thing. We have to earn the right to meaninglessness. That's a good point. Meaninglessness is a reward for a functioning society. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Great point. I think, that's, I think that's where we are. I think that's where we are. So <laughs> anyway, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Why did you start? Um, I, I, my meaningless thing, I, I'm, I'm worried that I've already talked about it. It's about jigsaw puzzles. Have we talked about jigsaw puzzles? Too much. I, I think you're, I think you're good. All right. Um, I guess if I've already talked about it as something meaningless, then it's even more meaningless that I'm talking about it again. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, in the era of COVID jigsaw puzzles were like became like hot like it was hard to buy them for a while back in april like you couldn't yeah. get them because everyone was like oh this is a way to kill time right um and uh so we have a bunch of jigsaw puzzles um i'm staring at one right now 
it's a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle called the last train home. And it's a sort of, you know, oldish, a hundred year oldish looking painting of like a, a bunch of people like at Christmas time uh, with, uh, with their bags and stuff waiting for a train to come and they're holding presents and whatever. And uh, it's, there's a, you know, smoke rising from the, uh, from the smokestack of the old steam engine and stuff. And um, the reason I bring this up is because uh, jigsaw puzzles stink. Uh, <laughs> I hate them. Like it seemed like such a good idea to to do a jigsaw puzzle and we were like come on kids like let's do these jigsaw puzzles and it'll be a way for us to spend time as a family or whatever and the kids lost interest pretty quickly and i was kind of trying to rally them and be like "Eh, no okay but i I couldn't muster any actual enthusiasm because uh they're really boring and 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 this isn't to take away if you like doing jigsaw puzzles that's fine like uh, it's each his own or her own um but i just I, i just am so i'm so bored by them i really am like i i I, I understand the little bit of satisfaction you get when you're really looking for a piece and you can't find it and then you find it and you put it in, but like, it's not nearly enough no. joy for me personally to warrant the hours and hours and hours of time that you have to sink into one of these things. And I don't find, and, and then by the way, of course it goes without saying that like you always are missing a piece yes. or the dog chews up a piece or there's a piece that is like, you know, frayed and it doesn't quite fit well. So the, the, the theoretical kind of teleological satisfaction that you get when you're done with it is often blunted. And even if it's not blunted, I don't find it enough joy and satisfaction to warrant the enormous number of hours that you have to put into completing one. Yeah. No, I, I, the thing that, that, that I think about with jigsaw puzzles, we have not actually fallen into a jigsaw puzzle trap during this pandemic, but we did a couple of years ago, we thought, Oh, you know what? That's a, what a wholesome family activity it mm-hmm. is. You know? And, and, you know, you, of course you, you, you think big, like a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle might be like, that's about as long as I think we could keep the kids <laughs> interested in it maybe. And, but it's, but it's, you know, it would be over and hopefully it would be over in like a half an hour or something or 20 minutes or Five minutes. I don't actually know. We never, we never got a hundred piece at, uh, one. We got the thousand piece one with all of the little tiny, you know, people in it that you know that you can't tell the difference between them, and they take way longer than you think yeah. they're going to take. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even. It's not like oh, you think you'll be able to get it done in a day, and it'll take you two days. No, you think you'll get it done in a day, and it'll take you six weeks. To yeah. Get it just sits on the table with all the pieces spread around and you can't even eat at the table anymore. It's just, yeah, it's like, it's a third finished and and it's too far into it to make you want to just sweep it back into the box, but right. it's not anywhere close to being finished enough so that you think like, Oh, I should just finish that because it's, there's so much work left to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're They're actually terrible, but you know what? The people who love them, you know, have at it. You know, when, yeah, when we go, go nuts, man, right. you can have mine. I'll just tell me your address and I'll send you all my jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> when we did, when we did, um, you know, at the beginning of this, of this, uh, of the summer, when we were sort of uh, trying to, to raise people's spirits a little bit with some of these campaigns, we did a, a, where we asked people to send in a photo of something bringing them joy during the pandemic. And a lot of people sent in completed jigsaw puzzles. Like right. this was, this was bringing them happiness. And I, I am all for that. I am all for that. But, I mean, I think that it would be fun if you were super good at it so that it really did. You could do it like in a day. 
Yeah, I'll bet there's like competitive jigsaw puzzle YouTube videos you can watch where you're sort of inspired by the incredible acumen of the jigsaw puzzle assemblers, but uh, uh, but that's not for me. No, it's not for me. That's it. We're moving on. All right, my one one last meaningless thing. Um, so I think everybody knows at this point the cliche that if somebody says, you know, when they're trying to like, especially like during speeches or something, and they say, as Mark Twain said, Mark Twain almost never said the quote that that's followed, right? <laughs> like Mark Twain and Satchel Paige, Yogi Berra, like mm-hmm. they're like Abraham Lincoln. They're like a handful of Americans who basically have said every quote that everybody uses, but have not said any of them, like none of the quotes. And they and they don't even usually go back to somebody famous. Like usually it'll say, oh, as Mark Twain says, and then, you know, there's there are places on the on the internet where people actually go and, and dig in to find out who said the actual quote. And it's usually like Bob Johnson was shopping one day. And so, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's something, it's something it's, it's not like, uh, Oh, you know, actually Benjamin Disraeli said it, you know, it's usually somebody else, just some nobody. Right. But I was thinking, I was watching, I saw something the other day and it was like, as Mark Twain said, and it was something undoubtedly Mark Twain did not say, but, but I was thinking, how happy would Mark Twain be to be like given credit for every like wise thing that has been said over the last like hundred years? Like, do you think he would enjoy that? Do you think Mark Twain would be like, yeah, that's right. You know, just give me all the credit for every interesting thing that's anybody has said for a long time. Or do you think he'd be annoyed because, because people are like still, they like don't know actually what he actually did say. And they're just, just throwing all these other sort of, cliche quotes and and putting it under his name where do you think he'd stand on this he was sort of a you know curmudgeon and he was very cynical about humanity and so i think he would find it amusing (laughs) that people were ascribing all sorts of things to him that he didn't actually say because it would sort of reaffirm for him probably his deeply held belief that humans were kind of foolish and and dumb so I think he would, I think he would kind of enjoy it, not because it was like better. It was like indicating that he had achieved some kind of celebrity, but simply because it would be yet another indication of how kind of gullible and, and easily fooled people are. I think that's right. I, yeah. I think that's right. Conversely, I think Satchel Page would be happy for every single thing they credit him for saying. Sure. Because he'd be like, look, I, you guys didn't even let me play in the major leagues. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. point, right. It's, uh, it doesn't it doesn't quite make up for the institutional racism that kept him from playing the game he loved in the league that dominated America. But it's something. <laughs> it's something. It'd be like, All right, they remember me. They remember that I never said that. And by the way, the one Satchel Page quote that I see people quote all the time, and I, this was one I saw like a couple of days ago. I do not believe Satchel Page said dance like no one is watching. So for all of those who keep saying that Satchel Page said dance like no one is watching, no, he didn't say it. He said, he did say all of the, you know, uh, don't look back, something might be gaining on you and something right. that all those. But at some point, you just just stop crediting, especially because that's not a particularly great quote anyway, but but even even if it was, you know, give Satchel Page his due and, 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 uh, and and stick with the things that he did say because because they're great they're great on their own they're just great that's right all right there you go that was my meaningless thing so so do we get through this one how do you think how do you feel about it i don't know if we got through it in any um sort of official way but we did talk for an hour and 30 minutes (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that's that was a gift <laughs> from the start. Like there was there was never any doubt that we were going to do that. But do you do you think we got through this? I mean, considering you know this is these really are dark times. I mean, let's let's not kid anybody. These are these are very dark times, and uh, I don't know. I don't know where we are in all of yeah, this. Yeah, I don't either. Um, nobody does. Nobody knows where we are. I, I think that maybe we could leave on the note that we hope very much that a combination of factors, societal, sports-related, political, whatever, conspire to make it so that the podcast can go back to being meaningless without reservation sometime in the near future. Maybe that, that should be our general I, hope. Right? I think that should be our hope and should be our slogan. So like, <laughs> make, the podcast me- make the podcast meaningless again. So uh, as always, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having me.